Our series is Psalms for All Seasons. And what we've discovered is in the book of Psalms, all the different seasons of life are covered, if you will. There's a psalm for those times that we're lonely. There's a psalm for the times that we're afraid. There's a psalm for the time that, that we're grateful. There's a psalm for the time that we're just overwhelmed with God's greatness and want to sing his praise. We go through seasons in life, and there are psalms that help us sing the song of that season. And so we're looking at the various psalms as we go through the current series. This morning, I want to invite your attention to Psalm 78, the 78th Psalm. As we think together about our next generation, the idea is that at some point in our lives, almost everyone has a season in which you have influence over the next generation. Maybe you're a parent who has children. Maybe you're a grandparent who has grandchildren. Maybe you're an uncle or an aunt. Maybe you're a next door neighbor to some kids. But almost every one of us goes through a season of life in which we have influence on the next generation. And so I want us to think together about our next generation. Psalm 78, and as we jump into Psalm 78, I want you to pay careful attention to uh, what, what seems like a title. Before we really get into the heart of the psalm, we often just kind of overlook the titles that are listed here. And I want you to see this one in 78, the very first part of verse 1, it may even be before the number in your Bible, a mascal of Asaph. What in the world are we talking about? Two words that we don't ever use in any other way, mascal and Asaph. What is going on? Well, a mascal is a song that teaches something. You know, some songs help us express our feelings. Uh, some songs cry out to God. This song, a mascal, is a special kind of song that is intended to be instructional. Its purpose is to teach something. And this one was written by Asaph. Well, who is Asaph? Uh, I wish that we had time to really uh, look at the whole story, the life of Asaph. Um, but but I, I know that you guys don't want to stay all day, so we'll do it quickly. Although this psalm has 72 verses and the Rangers game doesn't start until seven o'clock. But I am going to try to go quickly. Here's, the, here's Asaph in a nutshell. 1000 BC, give or take. We're, we're, we're rounding numbers around, okay? 1000 BC, give or take. David feels led by God to move the capital of the nation, to move headquarters to Jerusalem. Now, in order to move the headquarters to Jerusalem, they're going to have to move the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, 
The Ark of the Covenant is where they understand God literally, physically dwells. His spirit hovers above the Ark of the Covenant. So they would never, his chosen nation would never establish a headquarters without him. You would, they would not leave him out. Therefore, they've got to move the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. In order to do that, they, they want it to have all of the appropriate pomp and circumstance, all of the ceremony that it deserves. And so they have this great band, like a huge parade, to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Leading that parade is a group of musicians. Leading the group of musicians is Asaph. He leads the musicians as they lead everyone else as they move toward Jerusalem. And this leader of musicians, by the way, is a percussionist. He plays the cymbals. It's okay to have cymbals in church. It said so. Asaph was the leader. Here is Asaph playing the cymbals, leading the music, leading the Ark of the Covenant. Fast forward. They do establish the headquarters in Jerusalem. They're there for, give or take, 400 years. Babylon comes in, wipes them out, takes a bunch of them off. Wait another 70-ish years. And those people who were taken off into captivity start coming back. As they come back to, to Jerusalem, give or take 500 B.C., the Bible tells us that 148 of Asaph's descendants were singing to God. Understand, this guy we've never met before is playing cymbals. 500 years later, he's got 148 descendants who are also singing and praising Yahweh. Asaph understood the importance of handing off the faith, passing down the faith teaching our next generation about God. And so he writes this maskel, this song, to make sure that people understand how valuable it is for us to speak to the next generation. So let's begin looking at it. Psalm 78, verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. In other words, he says, listen up. This song is not just a song. This is a teaching song. So I want you to hear it. I want you to get it. He says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. Throughout the rest, throughout most of the psalm, he's going to tell the story of Israel, how God freed them from Egypt, established a nation, how they responded, how God took care of them, how they rebelled, etc. He tells the story through the psalm, and his introduction is, I'm about to open my mouth, I'm going to tell you stories, 
I'm going to tell you sayings of old. And notice that he says, I'm going to tell you the things that you've already heard because you heard it from our fathers. The first thing that I want us to notice this morning is that we have an obligation to the next generation. We have an obligation to the next generation. He says, the things that you need to know are things that we heard from our fathers. Now, in just a moment, he's going to say, not only did we hear from our fathers, but now it's our job to tell the next generation. It gets handed off, passed down, if you will. Now, we live in a weird time. We live in a time that I know many parents say, I'm not going to force my religion on my children. Instead, I'm going to let them discover on their own and decide for themselves. And that sounds so good. You know why that sounds so good? Because people who are parents today grew up in a society that is confused, in a culture that says there isn't a real truth that we need to learn. Everyone can just decide for themselves what their truth is. Because you grew up in that culture that says there's not one truth, there's whatever you think is true is true. Because you grew up in that culture, it sounds right to you to say, I don't want to force my kid, I'm going to let them decide and let them figure out and let them discover. Let me ask you something. Are you going to let your kid discover and decide on which foods they need to eat? to be strong and healthy? Are you going to let your kids decide and discover that they really should be brushing their teeth? You see, there are truths. And the Bible tells us from beginning to end, I'm going to show you some examples today, not all of them by any means, but I'm going to show you some examples today how Scripture tells us from beginning to end that we have an obligation to the next generation to tell them the truth about who God is, to tell them about Jesus Christ. Here, Asaph says, I'm going to tell you the stories. We know the stories because our fathers, the people who came before us, told us. And now we're going to tell others. He says, the things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. I used, to, uh, I used to go to track meets to watch my daughter. Anything my daughter did, I wanted to be there. And usually, that was fine. Volleyball games have a, have a, a clock, and when it's over, it's over. Um, basketball games have you know, four quarters and it's over. It's, there's a track meets go forever. Oh, middle school track meets. If somebody told me I had one day to live, I would spend it at a middle school track meet because those go forever. And my daughter, I love her. I, I love her almost more than, than anything in the world. I would do anything for my daughter. But that stinker ran 
I don't remember the, the order of the events, but she ran in the first event of a track meet and the last event of a track meet. So who got to sit in the stands? One of those events, or maybe it was something in between, coaches don't laugh at me, I don't know the order of the stuff anymore. I don't have to know, I don't have to go anymore. Uh, one of the things she did was a, a relay. And in that relay race, one runs around, hands off a baton to the next one. That one run, runs around, hands off the baton to the next one. Now, in a sprint, what matters is how you start and when you finish. It's different in a relay race. The emphasis really is not so much on how you start and when you finish as much as it is how you hand off the baton. There's a certain area in which they have to make that pass. If they wait too late and don't pass in that area, they're disqualified. If they're clumsy and don't hand it off and one of them drops it, they're disqualified. It doesn't count. Parents, we have a window. Grandparents, uncles, aunts, we have a window. And we have an obligation to the next generation to pass on the baton. He says, I'm going to tell you a story, but it's a story we got from our parents, and it's one that we now get to hand off. George Bernard Shaw said, Life is no brief candle to me. It is a sort of splendid torch which I got a hold of for the moment and I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to future generations. It's a lot like the, the, the testimony of Timothy. You remember Paul had a young friend, Timothy, that he was bringing along, mentoring, teaching, guiding. I want you to notice something that Paul said about Timothy. In 2 Timothy Chapter 1 and verse 5. I, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. He says, Timothy, you got it. You have a sincere, not, not religious, not fake, not obligation, but you have a sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. You see how it works? Grandma Lois hands it to Mama Eunice, who hands it off to Timothy. And now Paul is equipping Timothy to hand it off to a whole new generation. In a similar way, just a couple of chapters later in 2 Timothy, Paul says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from your childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Remember who you learned it from and get ready to hand it off to someone else. You see, we have an obligation to the next generation. And it's because of that obligation that we celebrate when Boy Scouts learn and grow in their faith. It's because of that obligation that we get excited when we've got all those kids gathered here every Sunday morning 
Folks, this is not a cutesy thing to entertain us. This is passing on the baton. This is a godly, sacred, holy moment that happens here. We have an obligation to the next generation. Secondly, notice that we have a reason to teach the next generation. There's a reason that we would do this. Look at verse 4. We will not hide them from their children. In other words, remember he's talked about the things that we learned from our fathers. He says, now we will not hide them from their children, but, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. We're, not, we're going to make sure that we don't drop the baton. It's been handed to us, and now we're going to make sure that we pass that on to the next generation. We're going to tell them of the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might. We're going to tell them the wonders that he has done. I had a conversation with, with Ashley just recently, and I let her know that we have all our legal papers in, in order. There's one more step I got to take, but we've got the will, we've got what happens when we're too sick to make our decisions. We've got all that stuff. I wanted her to know that we've taken care of those things so she doesn't have to. She knows where she's going to find them. And I thought, what a failure I would be if I took care of all the legal papers, I handed off all the stuff that she needs to know. That, that poor child's going to get all that Dr. Pepper stuff she's got to figure out what to do with. But what a failure I would be if I was careful to leave her legal papers but didn't leave her the most important information of all. And that is who God is, why he sent his son, and what makes a difference in her life. Doesn't do me any good to leave all the other information if I leave out the most important stuff. And so Asaph says, we will not hide them from our children. We're going to tell the coming generation of all the great deeds of our God. Verse 5, he established a testimony in Jacob. Uh, Jacob and Israel are the same, two, two names for the same nation. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. Did you see that? God not only gave his people his law, but he told them, he commanded them, teach this law to your children. There's a reason that we teach the next generation. God says, here's what I want you to know, and I command you to hand it down. Verse 6, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. There's a reason that we teach the next generation so that, that they know they can put their confidence in Almighty God. You see that in verse 7? So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So right there in that, those few short verses, he says, God gave our fathers the law they told us about it. Now we're going to tell our children so that they can tell their children so that we all know who we can put our hope in. 
who we can put our confidence in. There's a reason to teach the next generation because they are going to put their confidence in something. We want our kids to put their confidence in the Lord. Psalm 145 and verse 4 reminds us that one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. That way the folks know he's a God I can trust. I learned that. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is what we call the Shema. It is the the basis, the cornerstone, if you will. It is the central teaching of Judaism. It is, uh, it is a prayer they pray every day. It, is, it, it, it defines to a great degree their relationship with Yahweh. And we find that Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let me read for you beginning in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, when you go to Bucky's, when you go to the movies, when, you, when you're playing baseball, when you're fishing, when you're hunting, when, when, you do, when, you, when you're doing a little cross stitch. I don't know. He says, he says, God, Yahweh is the only real God. He is one. And these words I command you today, I want you to love him with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, everything you've got. And I want you to teach your children to do the same. How do you do that? When do you do that? You do it in everyday life. When you get up, you talk about Jesus. When you go to bed, you talk about Jesus. When you're driving down the street, you talk about Jesus. I want you to hear me, parents, because because I love you and because I love your kids. I want you to hear this. The church is not the first place your kids should hear about Jesus. The church is here to undergird your teaching, to support you, to disciple you as you parent, and to disciple your children along the way. But the first place they need to hear about Jesus is at home. They, home, home is where they need to come to know the God who has brought you this far. Look at his mighty deeds, you'd say, not in those words, but look what God has done for us. And now, my beloved child, you know you can trust him because he's done all this for us so far. We know we can put our confidence in him. We can put our hope in him. And so verse 7 of our text gives us the reason, so that they should put their hope in God. We have a reason to teach the next generation. We also have a motivation to teach the next generation. It's, it's kind of like we have an obligation. Okay, I know I should. We have a reason. All right, there's a good reason for it, but what's going to motivate me to do it? Well, we have a motivation to teach the next generation. Look at verse 8 that they should not be like their fathers. A stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Asaph is referring to that first group of people that came out of Egypt. They wandered through the wilderness. God met them and said, hey guys, 
Here's the law. Here's how to make sense of this life. Here's how to be my people so that I can be your God. Here's how we're going to build a nation. It's all right here for you. And those stubborn people said, nah, we'll do it our way. We got this. They were a stubborn and rebellious generation. Verse 9 says the Ephraimites armed with the bow. Don't get hung up on that word. It's just one of the tribes of this great nation armed with the bow turned back on the day of battle. They didn't have the courage they needed to do what they were called to do. They did not keep God's covenant but refused to walk according to the law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. Here's the harsh reality, my friends. Here's our motivation to teach the next generation. Why we do it is this. Because if we don't teach the next generation about God, our tribe will crumble. If we don't teach the next generation about God, our tribe will crumble. Here, they didn't follow, they didn't obey, they didn't have courage. They were a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Judges chapter 2 and verse 10 tells a different story. But look how sad is this story. All the generations also were gathered to their fathers. That means they died. These folks died and went to their fathers and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Friends, we are one generation away. Always. Always we are one generation away from people forgetting about God. And how sad is Judges 2. There was a generation after them who did not know the Lord. May that never be said of our families. We have a motivation to teach the next generation. Beginning in verse 12, he goes ahead and does what he said he was going to do. He tells the story of Israel. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan. He divided the sea and let them pass through it, made waters to stand upon the heap. I won't read the other verses. It goes on all the way through verse 72 as he tells the story again of their ancestors. Friends, you have a story to tell. If you know Jesus, you have a story to tell. If God has ever blessed you, you have a story to tell. And it is your obligation to pass it on. You have a reason to pass it on. You have a strong motivation to pass it on. Just to tell your story like Asaph tells their story. This is why children's ministry and youth ministry are priorities in our church. And they are going to remain priorities. We're not going to support any thought or any effort that would make youth ministries or student ministries seem as secondary. We're not going to support any efforts or thought that would make 
youth ministry or children's ministry seem like they are inconvenient or in our way. They are priorities in our church and I pray that you make them priorities in your home. Biblical instruction is supported at the church but established in the home. And so Paul tells parents in Ephesians 6 and 4, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I know it sounds right to say, I'm going to show my kids enough respect to let them choose and let them decide and let them discover. And uh, I know it sounds right. But you have a command from God. Old Testament command, you will pass this down. New Testament command, Ephesians 6, 4, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's important. It's so important that we have an obligation to do it. We have a reason for it. And we have a strong motivation to make sure it happens. 